We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Six Man Show, an Orlando Magic podcast, with your hosts, Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic basketball. By fans, for fans. Go Magic. What's going on, Orlando Magic fans? You guys are back with the Six Man Show. It is November 15th, 2021. Your host, Jonathan Osborne. As always, I am joined by my co-host, the Sultan of the Slam Dunk Sesame, Luke mm. Sylvia. What's going on, my man? How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. Uh, by my daughter's choice, who didn't know what she was doing, watched the uh, first Christmas movie of the season. Uh, watched Polar Express. It was on TNT today. My daughter flipped to it as one of our previous channels because I think I was watching basketball on TNT sometime recently. So uh flipped to it, watched a little bit of Polar Express. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that was about it. Had a pretty good Sunday. Went out to eat, all that kind of stuff. So, hopefully, it set me up for a, a good week. Did you uh, do anything today? I didn't really do anything at all today. Mm. As a matter of fact, uh, we woke up. the The little one wasn't feeling that well, so you know we're big proponents of like, yo, don't bring your sick kids to church. So we True. don't bring our sick kids to church. So we just kind of hung out at the house today. Um, I wanted to ask you, what are what are your thoughts, you and Lauren, on like, do you go right into Christmas, right like the day after Halloween, or are mm-hmm. you like, no, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. We're gonna hold off. Yeah, How do you so, guys handle that. So, and Lauren's like growing up obviously has a lot to do with how you grow up. Lauren's house growing up on Black Friday is when they put up all their Christmas stuff and started getting in the Christmas spirit. Right. Um, my family, it was always after Thanksgiving, not necessarily Black Friday, probably that weekend. Um, so yeah, so we're both. We're both, you know, in the camp of put your Christmas tree up after Thanksgiving. However, and watch Christmas movies after Thanksgiving. Broke that rule today because Harper just flipped it on. And I was like, you know what? Fine. Um, last year was so weird that, um, you know, we're we're open to, to everybody, you know, doing the Christmas tree thing way sooner than Thanksgiving because last year was so crappy. It was crappy for everyone with COVID, right? Uh, it was crappy for us because, you know, you know, Lauren had just had Harper and Lauren had to go to Florida, all that kind of stuff. I was working a ton. So this year I'm probably just like more open to it than I ever have been in terms of like starting Christmas earlier than Thanksgiving. But normally it's like we're definitely big after Thanksgiving people. I think there's just like a natural like Christmassy things like Christmas commercials, different, right. you know, candies that come out, Christmas music just kind of lifts the spirit like at least 
10% by default. Yeah. So we start like I like my favorite thing is uh like the Ghirardelli's the peppermint bark. So it's yeah. like the white chocolate with the peppermint flakes and like the milk chocolate on the bottom. And then probably my favorite candy in the world are the um the peppermint, like the candy cane Hershey kiss uh, Hershey Hershey oh. kisses. Yeah, where it's the good. white chocolate with the peppermint swirls in it. Yeah. So I'm all about that. And then like midnight, November first, we're playing Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is you. Like we're on top of November first, so, huh? November, like November first, we're playing the music. Now we're in the same boat as Lauren's family. Like the day after Thanksgiving, we usually like the tree goes up and we get all that stuff, you know, going. Yeah. Well, now, it, people, it it snowed here the other day, and so yeah. that no, no matter what happens, I know a lot of people listening. If you're in Florida, you're like, I don't really know what you're talking about. If it snows, you automatically feel like Christmas. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It started like snowing the other day. It wasn't sticking, but it was definitely I, I had it landed on my jacket, all that kind of stuff. And it was like, wow, Christmas is coming. Well, the the funny thing is, like the people that talk about like, oh, you're skipping Thanksgiving, like Thanksgiving isn't really like a season. There's no, know, also like, no Thanksgiving music. So, yeah, there's no Thanksgiving music. Like Halloween, it's like, you know, everybody's got like the pumpkins out and, you know, right. their skeletons and everybody like decorates their art. Nobody really decorates for Thanksgiving. Like They've you got might rotten have some pumpkins sitting out from their decor from Halloween. That's what they got. Yeah, pretty much. Or maybe and some you, turkeys around the house. Yeah, you might have some, you know, placemats and like little knickknacks that you put Fall up. Some leaves. turkeys, some leaves, stuff like that. But like Halloween and um, you know, Christmas are definitely like the bigger decoration holidays. So I don't mm-hmm. see any issue with like getting in the Christmas spirit. Taking your, you know, two, three day break, you know, to get through like Thanksgiving and all that craziness and then just like right into Christmas. Mm-hmm. My thing is like, is it ever too early to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior? Like, are we talking about blasphemy or, or what's going on here? You know, like if you want to celebrate Christmas all around, like all year round, like, you know, do you? That's just my personal opinion. Not I to- mean, I guess, but all I want for Christmas for you is you is is not like jesus type well stuff. I, admit, I didn't say they're playing it I, during worship service i'm just saying you know like that that the that christmas song just music, always slaps like i'm not listening to it in july she makes so much freaking money dude it's 50 she degrees so outside much, here she on makes a Saturday. so much she starts defrosting once once halloween ends and she's coming out for winter so that that, that song she makes so much money it's stupid just from that song look I, I think there's an argument for that being like the greatest Christmas song of all time. Like there's some people a, hate it as a result, a reason. though. Well, and you know who else probably hated it? Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> all right, that's some bah humbug for you. So, anyways, Luke, uh, let's let's talk some Orlando Magic basketball. We've got a housekeeping item really quickly. We want to shout out our patrons here. Shout out to Court Cousins, Drew Gooden, Armin, Keith Garcia, Zico, Carson Tulo, Nathan Lynn. Ellis, Jonathan Borges, Norm L, Magic Player History, Julio, and Joseph Chubb. Really appreciate you guys. If you guys haven't heard already, this coming Tuesday, uh, that will be the 16th uh, at 8 o'clock Eastern, we'll be having our first exclusive patron Zoom call uh, for our Hall of Fame tier patrons. So if you guys are interested, um, hanging out with us. 10 a month? Yeah, it's the $10 a month uh, package that we have there, the Hall of Fame tier. It includes things like, you know, access to our Discord channel, um, patron-exclusive podcast episodes, which we're currently working on, getting our first one um, up and running for you guys to enjoy that. 
and then like a monthly Zoom call with us, really just to hang out, talk magic basketball. You guys can ask us anything that you want. It doesn't have to do with basketball. That's totally fine Maybe with we us. give you some peeks into what we're thinking as upcoming guests on the show, what we're working on, that type of stuff. Exactly. So, yeah, that's going to be the 16th, 8 o'clock Eastern. I um, hope you guys will, will come in and hang out and uh, just, you know, appreciate that. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Really appreciate all the support. Uh, we can't do what we do without you guys. So, again, thank you to our patrons so much. Luke, let's talk the weekly stake of the Orlando Magic or weekly state of the Orlando Magic. I was going to say steak. I'm hungry. Steak. Yeah, I'm thinking about a, a nice uh, medium rare ribeye right now. Mm. Uh, but your Orlando Magic, Orlando Magic, went 0-2 mm. this week with a 123-90 to blowout loss at home to the Brooklyn Nets and a 104-92 to loss to the Washington Wizards at home. To be perfectly honest and transparent and you know frank with you guys, we're not all that excited to talk about the games from this week because they, uh, they didn't go great. So we'll talk about that. We'll get through that. But then we've got some other things that we want to discuss as they pertain to the maggot, ma- maggots. <laughs> wow. Magic. Dude, this this podcast episode is headed downhill really quickly. Wow, um, the maggots. The maggots. That's kind of how it feels right now. Um, they sit with a record of 3-10, and 10, which mm-hmm. is the worst record in the Eastern Conference. It is the third worst record in the entire NBA. They are currently 27th in offensive rating, 26th in defensive rating. They are 29th in net rating. All of those numbers would tell you the Magic are not good. Uh, In terms of uh, the toughest remaining strength of schedule, we told you last week uh, that the Magic still had the toughest remaining strength of schedule in the entire NBA. And Sunday evening, according to tankathon.com, Luke, that still rings true. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you you got, like it says on here, toughest opponents. Warriors twice, Wizards three times, Suns twice, Nets three times, Nuggets twice, Mavs twice. So fun fun rest of the way for us. Look look at the other column and tell us tell us what you see there in terms of easiest opponents. Oh, easiest opponents, right. Uh two uh games against the Rockets, two against oh, I meant, the Pelicans. No, I meant everyone else's easiest opponents. Oh, everyone else's oh right, right. The Magic, the Magic, yeah. the Magic, the Magic. I, the Magic's on every every list there for you. So Yeah. So also, by the way, to. the fact that the the Hawks and the T Wolves both made it like they made it on the easiest, um, yeah. the T Wolves should show you that it's not that easy. Yeah, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. 
Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, folks, uh, that is your weekly state of the magic um, brought to you by us. Uh, Yeah. Something fun happened this week, actually, Luke. Um, I believe it was two days ago. I think it was Friday. Yeah. So Kevin Clark uh, covers the NFL for The Ringer. Uh, He's Orlando native. Grew up, you know, born and raised here. Boone High School. Big Orlando Magic fan. What was that? You guys are familiar. Boone High School there in in Florida. I remember Boone High. Yeah. I, uh, I remember always playing Boone. They're very good uh, in all their sports, basically. So I remember playing Boone. They always killed us. Solid. But yeah, yeah. Kevin Clark, big Orlando Magic fan. Um, for some reason, he came across uh, the opening night performance of the Magic's inaugural season back in 1989, where they debuted basically the classic Orlando Magic theme song, Orlando Magic, Mm. Orlando Magic, you know, that whole uh, bop there. It's an absolute Mm -hmm. banger. Um, But he found that video, tweeted it out, and uh, really over the next few hours, it kind of took NBA Twitter by storm. Like Basically, everybody that I follow commented on it in in one way or the other, and then the uh, Orlando Magic, their official Twitter account, came across uh, Kevin Clark's uh, tweet and kind of saw the you know, the um, engagement that that was getting across Twitter. And rightfully so, they decided to take advantage of it and tweeted out, hey, guys, if this tweet gets 1,000 retweets, uh, we will play this at the next home game. So it took them 13 minutes, Luke, (laughs) to get 1,000 retweets. I don't know if we have 1,000 retweets total in (laughs) the almost three years of our social media account. Like 1,000 retweets in 13 minutes is absolutely incredible. So I was at the game Saturday night, and uh, you know, like a minute before tip-off, when they play like the Orlando history video that usually is some type of hype song to get everybody excited for the game, uh, they play the Orlando Magic theme song. Luke, and when I tell you, it wasn't like pockets of the crowd that were really into that. Like everybody in the building got legitimately excited about that song. So um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Luke, what are your thoughts on the song? I mean, it is something that was before my time, right? Yes. But I was made aware of it probably eight years ago, maybe, probably in one of my like YouTube, you know, deep dives into nothing. And um, yeah, you had, you know, the the wizard uh, up there. You had all those. By the way, what what are your thoughts on that guy? Beginning of the video. And also, can you tell me, I don't know. Did they did they ever bring him back? Like, did he stick around for a little bit before they were like, "We don't want to do this anymore"? That I really don't know. Because um, so that I've, was that was my wife's. I had my wife sit down and watch it. That was my wife's favorite part. So, well, it was, it's incredible. And when he came on the court and was dancing, you, there was like you could catch him just like anywhere on the screen. Yeah, incredible, electric, honestly. Well, so I think I came across that um, really not all that long ago, maybe a year and a half to two yeah. years ago. If you guys listen to our friends over at the Orlando Magic UK, uh, they have taken kind of that Wizards opening monologue yeah. where it's like, if you truly believe in the magic, <laughs> then you have to believe. Like that whole thing. <laughs> they have incorporated that into their intro, which I love it, and I'm really jealous that we didn't think of that first just because mm-hmm. it's hilarious. But, um, yeah, like that whole monologue, like it's, it's really funny because – Obviously, it's very kind of like cheesy and like, you know, corny and kind of on the nose, like playing up the magic. You know, he's Merlin the Magnificent. Right. Um, 
but almost in a way he kind of makes it like menacing like towards the end like the magic are, are like coming to get you you know what yeah. i mean so i i did appreciate that um i don't think it would go over quite as well today uh obviously no. like you think back to the 80s no and it'll it, get roasted. it very, is like very like a you know campy time period um but no i thought it was awesome i i think it's hilarious i i do wish that they would make that a regular staple. So they they said if they get 10,000 retweets on that same tweet that they'll play it every home game for the rest of the season. Right now I think the last time I checked it's like around like 4,000 maybe is. getting close to 5,000 so it's definitely losing a lot of steam. Right yeah. now yeah, 4,364 retweets. I don't think it's going to get to 10k but they were smart for setting it at 10k cuz at that point right. we just want to get as many retweets as we can. Yeah. They would be wise, I think, to bring that back every game for the rest of the season. And in my opinion, moving forward, forgive me for I'm not stealing your idea, but I I read this person's tweet and I can't find it right now in front of me. But basically they said that this just goes back to everything that fans have been asking for from the Magic. Like it all ties back to like the glory days of Orlando Magic basketball and Orlando Magic culture. When you're talking about Shaq and Penny, you're talking about this era specifically with the old school, you know, opening um, music, um, the, you know, the pinstripes, the old school logo, all of these things that Magic fans are like, hey, we want to go back to this because it reminds us, one, it's very nostalgic. It kind of brings you back to your youth when you just think everything was so much better because let's, let's, we can all agree life was much easier and better when we were younger, but it also reminds us of when the team was good and respected and successful. And um, I mean, especially the logo and the jerseys are just iconic pieces of NBA history. You talk to a random person on the street and you ask them, you know, what do they think of the Orlando Magic? They're almost always going to bring up the pinstripes, Shaq and Penny. So yeah. I, I don't think it's not very often that a player is like that ingrained in a team's culture. Like you talk about um, like Michael Jordan, you know, and the Bulls. Um, you know, you talk about Kobe, you know, and the Lakers, but like going around the league, like right now, sure, you, you might say Damian Lillard, but what does that really have to do with like Portland and like the Trailblazers culture? Like the Trailblazers have been successful for a really long time. Um, not trying to rag on, you know, the Blazers, but I think that is unique in a sense to the Orlando Magic that uh, a jersey and, and a time period like that is so such a big part of what people think about and about the culture. All right, Luke, let's get into the games of this past week. So like we said, not great. We don't want to spend a ton of time on these games because the Magic, there's no other way to put it. They played two teams that were much, much better than them this week. It showed in each of those games the Magic's youth inexperience. And uh, honestly, uh, you know, they just got their butts kicked. Uh, starting with Monday, a 123-90 to blowout loss at home to the Brooklyn Nets. When, did I? What did I say? Monday? Monday. It was Wednesday. Yeah, it was. It was Wednesday. I have that written in front of me. Again, can't speak tonight. Our listeners are used to it by this point. Uh, the Magic were only down five after one, Luke, and then Lamarcus freaking Aldridge, a guy who was literally retired like four <laughs> months ago. Okay, yeah. thirteen points in four and a half minutes in the second half. Okay? Yeah, second second quarter. Again, I I can't freaking speak tonight. What's going on with my brain? But the Nets were up 14 after the first. They were uh, up 12 at the half, up 19 after the third quarter. 
They end up winning the game by 33, again, 123 to 90 in this game. Just to give you a little bit of context, Luke, the Magic shot four of 33 from the three-point line in this game. Three of those were from Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba, and then Ignis Brasdakis hits one in garbage time. That is good for 12.1% from the three-point line, Luke. You add 17 turnovers in this game. You look at the Nets. They shoot 50% from the floor, 43% from the three-point line. Uh, The same amount of rebounds as the Magic. The only reason for that is because the Nets just would not and could not miss. Kevin Durant, 30 points, 11 (laughs) of 12 from the floor. You know, that was crazy to me. Right, like you look at KD and what he has to do with this Nets team. Legitimately, what he has to do is score. Like that's that's all he has to do, Jonathan. He lit it up in no other category. He had two assists and five rebounds, and also of his thirty points, only two of them were threes. He just was he was doing anything he wanted. He was he was driving and dunking. He was hitting mid range shots with a hand in his face. It didn't matter what you did. He shot 92% from the floor. And also, I you know, I occasionally partake in, in DraftKings, right? I had Kevin Durant in my lineup, and he his his fantasy points were terrible because the only thing he did was score. But he was so frustrating to watch at the same time as a Magic fan, because it felt like no matter what you know the Magic did defensively, he was gonna score. This was just a good old they're better than you. That's why they won the game. Like they're just better. They they yeah. out they outclassed, out talented the Magic on Wednesday night. The Magic actually had like multiple defensive, like really solid defensive possessions, particularly in the first half. Yeah. And every single time it just ended up with the ball in Kevin Durant's hand and him hitting a tough shot over somebody. It just it and it just happened enough and enough and enough in that first quarter, give them a little bit of space. And then, like, really, LaMarcus Aldridge came into the game and, like, and broke the game open again. He finishes, uh, it was 21 points on the night. He had 13 points in four and a half minutes to open that second quarter. And at that point, like, the Magic just never really got close again. Uh, James Harden, a guy who's, you know, kind of been struggling offensively to start the year, uh, 17 points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists, triple-double. But you're 100% right. Like, this game just came down to... And, Luke, I feel like you and I have had this conversation before. When I'm watching a game, like, Tuesday night on TNT, I'm watching, like, you know, the Nuggets and, like, the Suns play. Somebody like... I'm watching this game, and I'm like, (laughs) these teams are not playing the same sport that the Magic play. Like, we're we're lucky enough to play in the same league as these other teams, but they're not doing the same things. Like, Mm -mm. the object of the game is does not seem to be the same when the no. Magic are playing. And I'll say this, it, it seems like it's every Magic game because the games that we are competitive, we ugly up the games. It's not because we're we're looking like this sophisticated, high-powered <laughs> offense most of the time. Yeah. We, just, we just drag these teams down with us. That's right. really what it seems like when we're able to come out with these wins. And when you watch these games, I don't know if it's, the production or you know you're feeling like oh I'm watching a nationally televised game so it feels a little bit different but whenever I watch these nationally televised games it just feels like we are in a on a different planet than some of these elite teams and this was the game where you're like that is exactly what this is well this is I, a team contending for a yeah. title and we right. are contending for Paolo Blancaro 
Right. Well, I feel like that was, you know, like you said, the the the, the Magic ugly up games, and it's not because they look incredible when they win some of these games. Don't get me wrong. Certain aspects of the game will look incredible, you know, compared to what we're used to seeing maybe. But like I said it after the Timberwolves game, right? Where the where the Magic win that game by 18, you know? And it's true. The Magic uglied up that game. The, the T-Wolves had 14 turnovers. That's not ideal for them. The Magic had 16 turnovers and just were able to shoot 80% from the free throw line where the T-Wolves shot 11 of 19. Um, and the T-Wolves just happened to have a terrible night shooting the three ball and from the field. 37% from the field, 27% from three. And had so, a horrible fourth quarter. Yeah, so... That's the that is the biggest thing, and that's what I said at the time, and it remains true. The Magic are going to win these games when they uglied up, when when not only their stats are ugly, but the opposing team's stats are ugly as well. Um, and and that's just kind of what it is. I mean, you look at when they beat the Jazz. The Jazz shot nineteen percent from three. Um, let's see. They had the Jazz had eighteen turnovers to the Magic's thirteen turnovers. One of the only time the Magic have won the turnover battle. So. You just the, the Magic have to force turnovers. They have to make the you know the bell ringing plays. Those are the types of things the Magic have to have to do to win games, especially when you're playing the the top talent in the league like the Brooklyn Nets. Otherwise, you're going to get your doors blown off and lose one twenty three to ninety. Well, when you shoot twelve percent from three, I mean, David Steele could do it, an, and they shot like forty some percent. Yeah. David Steele could like do a deep dive into this. I, I doubt there's been a, a time in the last. 15 years that a team has won a game shooting 12% from the three-point line. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's maybe the know, 90s when they didn't shoot threes as much. I, I said 15 years. We're going back to 2006. That exactly. That's why I said maybe okay if you there. find maybe if you look in the 90s, you, you're going to find those games, yeah. but they don't exist here because volume's so high. Well, what, what I think a lot of this comes down to is when you have a, a superstar in Kevin Durant, I mean, you have another superstar in James Harden, yeah. it just makes offense easier. It just makes things easier for everyone else on your team. Mm-hmm. You're really able to get the ball moving from side to side because they're paying so much attention to certain guys. And obviously, we'll talk about the Wizards game, but the Magic really struggle with that, especially when they go up against you know top defenses in the league. And I think that's kind of why it feels like you know the offenses don't resemble some of the elite teams in the league because, I mean, who are we kidding here? We're not an elite offensive team. You know, the, the ball movement and everything like that that you see out of a team like the Nets. Uh, I mean, they do play a lot of isolation basketball, but or if you look at a team like, you know, the, the Wizards, always moving the ball around, guys moving off ball. Steve Kerr has just, like, really ingrained that into each player's DNA there. It's beautiful to watch. And, uh, yeah, really look forward to the day that uh, we can say that about the Magic. But currently we cannot, Luke. Uh, this uh, is really depressing so far. So let's go ahead and talk about game two, which will really cheer us up. Saturday, home versus the Wizards. I did make the trek uh, to Amway to watch this game. It was my second game um, you know, to cover the, the, the team as a member of the media. I got to see our beloved Josh Robbins now covering the Washington Wizards. So it's really nice to be able to say hello to him for a few minutes. Um, one thing that you guys might not know is that uh, they feed the media. So I learned this. Uh, this is Jonathan. You know, might game. be Jonathan's favorite part. So this I walked in and I'm like, bro, what is this spread? So <laughs> I made sure not to eat, you know, lunch really before I headed over there yesterday. And uh, I walk in and they've got like chicken parm. They got chicken Alfredo. They've mm-hmm. got, um, you know, like, uh, you know, sauteed zucchini and like tomatoes and everything. 
and the the wonderful you know very friendly very uh, you know um, nice staff at Amway goes what would you like and I said you know what I will take a little bit of everything, please. <laughs> and it was very good. Uh, really, really appreciate the staff. They're very nice people. That's one thing that I didn't really expect uh, at the Amway. Everybody's very friendly. Everyone says hello to you, asks you how you're doing, everything like that. It's really a great environment. Um, but yeah, shout out to the Amway. Um, you know, like the 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 staff preparing the food and, and serving the food. Really appreciated that. If you guys didn't know that. It's a good. Um, you know, it's a good thing that they fed you dinner that night because that might have been the highlight of the night for you. Because what you, you know watched what? after that was. Well, I sat down like in the you know the media loge. Okay, it's like on it's located on the club level. It took me forever to find. Uh, again, I had to have a, a member of the Amway staff <laughs> help me find that because I couldn't find it. I got lost. As soon as I sit down. I looked the next row over. There's a guy slamming a, an ice cream drumstick in front of me. I'm going to be like, yo, where'd you get that? <laughs> but yeah, I, I, against my better judgment, you know, I, I did not ask him. But at halftime, I went out and got myself a nice hot pretzel. That was probably my highlight of the night. I really, really <laughs> you enjoyed the hot that. pretzel. Did you have cheese? No, I, I didn't ask for the cheese, and then I didn't think to ask for mustard. When I went over to the mustard, like the little uh, dispenser, I guess because of COVID, they're not you know, bringing those back yet. It was completely empty. And I was like, I guess I'm eating this plain. And it was still fire, you know, nice and soft, just the Warm. right amount of salt. I'm a big mustard on a hot pretzel guy. I like, I, was I will it, go the cheese, but I love mustard on a hot pretzel. Oh, I mean, I love cheese on anything. Um, was your pretzel warm or what? Yes. Yeah, it was it was almost hot. Sometimes sometimes they oversalt those, so that's where I'm a little mm, bit leery. Yeah, that's not possible. Oh, but I, you said I it was properly many, salted. How many chilies, like neighborhood grills, do they have in Omaha, Nebraska? Chilies? Well, yeah, do they have chilies, chilies here? I don't know if they have chilies here. All right, so chilies, you go right, you just sit down. If you want, they'll bring you like the chips and salsa uh, for free if you're sitting in the bar. They do area. have chilies so here. For those of you who are wondering about Omaha, Nebraska, they have chilies here. Okay, continue. Perfect. So those chips are very salty when they come out. I put even more salt on them. I love like salty snacks. And I chips do love and salt. Like that. Don't get me wrong. I put salt on everything too. Lauren thinks that probably I oversalt things, but yeah, pretzels though. That's one area that's a, where like, that's a discussion you need to have with your primary care physician, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm not judging you here based off of your, uh, you know, salt consumption or anything like that. I'm right there Appreciate with that. you. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, talk about the less fun part of the evening. Uh, We're procrastinating. Know, the food was really it. the best part. So, um, really, what this game came down to is particularly in the first half, the Magic just could not generate offense. I believe Luke coming into uh, this game or into this week, the Wizards were like fourth in defensive rating in the entire league, um, and that is not a fluke. Like. Uh, Aaron Holiday, like really at the point of attack, Uncle Anthony gave him a lot of issues all night. Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, even like we make fun of Kyle Kuzma for you know valid reasons, but even he was really really good defensively last night. Um, Daniel Gafford, I remember Nikola Vucevic literally daddying <laughs> Daniel Gafford last year, and yeah. he is much improved defensively. Was giving guys issues all night. Really good defensive team in the Washington Wizards. But the Magic could not get any offensive flow or rhythm whatsoever. Down 13 at the half. Um, In the third quarter, they did cut the deficit to 10. At one point, it got back up to 11. It was 11 with 6.30 to go in the third quarter. I believe Chumo Kiki hits a three. 
And then Kyle freaking Kuzma, of all people, scores 12 points in a <laughs> row for Washington to put Orlando down 18. So he hits like a stupid hard, I believe it was the end of the shot clock, pull-up jumper uh, over Chuma, or like from the, the top of the key or whatever, and then hits a three from, I believe it was their right corner, it was to my left. Then he hits a 30-freaking-footer in Chuma Okiki's face, and then comes down and hits another three. And, and then I believe gets fouled the next time, makes like one of two free throws. Yeah. 12 straight points for Kyle Kuzma. The Magic go down 18 at that point. They're down 23 heading into the fourth quarter. Lose the game 104-92. to The game was not that close. Like the Magic cut that deficit within like the last three, four minutes of that game. Um, but the, the game, especially in that fourth quarter, just was never, ever, ever close. Um, leading all scorers for the Magic, looking at Cole Anthony, but he shot 4 of 16 from the floor. Wendell Carter, uh, he left early in the Nets game with a, an eye abrasion, was donning the big, you know, uh, you know, not quite Horace Grant, um, you know, goggles, but pretty big goggles. 17 points for Wendell Carter in this one, finishes with seven, seven rebounds. Mo Bamba, 14 points, 17 rebounds in this game, but two of nine from the three-point line. Magic end up shooting just 33% from the floor. Wizards 50% from the floor. And you've got Kyle Kuzma, obviously, with 17, which is crazy. A guy has 17, but 12 straight points. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie ate the Magic up all night. 23 points, 11, um, 11 rebounds. Montrezl Harrell, 20 points in almost 21 minutes. On, on Wednesday, on Wednesday it was, with, with it was LaMarcus Aldridge. And then... Last like coming off the bench and just torching the magic, and then last night it was it was Trez. It's 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 ridiculous. Like I feel my, like it was and, more Kyle Kuzma though. Like Kyle was very quiet in that game, and it felt like the Magic had a chance in that third quarter. And then Kyle Kuzma was just like, "Nah, <laughs> I got this." And then the game was over. Like well, that right, was but Lamarcus Aldridge's you know thirteen points in four and a half minutes, but it was Kyle Kuzma twelve straight points in like two minutes. Yeah, and I was basically likening to just a bench player coming off the bench and just absolutely just daddying the entire Magic roster. And, you know, Trez, Montrez Harrell had, it was 9 for 13. Obviously, he doesn't shoot 3, so he didn't attempt a 3. And had 20 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists. I mean, and, and there were plays, Jonathan, that legitimately made me mad where he just... I mean, it's no secret Mobamba is a great shot blocker, but when it comes to him being taken down in the post, good lord, close your eyes because Montrezl Harrell, who's like six ten, is He's just six seven. Six, six seven. Sorry, sorry, I knew that was high. Mo's got five inches on him. Yeah, so conservatively speaking, right? And but he plays big, which is why he plays the position he does. He doesn't shoot threes, whatever. But but he just like put one shoulder. Into Bamba and Bamba just done, take him out, and and it, he made it look easy. I mean, Montrezl Harrell played incredible. It wasn't even that; like he was putting moves on Mo, like was yeah. getting past Mo with ease, and then yes, trying to finish, lowering his shoulders, you know, get kind of get Mo out of the way so that he could finish. But I think he, I think Harrell took one jumper from like the left elbow, I believe. And it didn't even hit the rim. Like it smacked the the backboard next to the rim. It was true. Hideous. Montrez Harrell 
Passion. Yeah, the shot clock was running down. He didn't really have any options, so he pulled up, just missed everything. So, yeah. like, you take that away, really, it's nine for twelve. You know, seventy five percent from right. the floor. And yeah, I mean, we everyone is really happy with the progress that Mo has made. Like seventeen rebounds. That's one off of his career high. Okay, so you love to see that type of improvement. But the next step for Mo is just getting better at reading the defense. Um, and just kind of making like instinctual reactions rather than trying to process everything in real time. And then a lot of times he's either chasing for blocks or, you know, he's coming over late and fouling guys. And then it's just being more physical with some of these just stronger, you know, centers. Like you look at a guy like Montrezl Harrell, he's got five inches on him at least. And just do- really just dominated Mobamba. I-, I don't think there's any way around that. Like he, he yeah. really just outplayed him. However, and while that is frustrating, obviously, like what I spoke about a few weeks back, Mobamba, I I think I truly do believe he could be even with even with WCJ WCJ rebounding at the level that he's at. I truly think that that Mo could average thirteen rebounds a game, and and it, it you see flashes of it, and he's done better even as of late. But you know, I first said that after the Raptors game where the Magic lose by one. Bamba had you know fourteen and eighteen, and I said on that next podcast like I want I want that to become like not abnormal, and I think he can do it. He's he's huge man, and and he's he he's freaking seven feet tall. He's got a million mile long wingspan. All you need at that point is just like the anticipation of where the ball is going to come off the rim because there is like a huge science to that. You know, in terms of, you know, you know, if you shoot it from the corner, there's a great chance it's going to bounce off and go to the other side. Right. And so you need to position yourself. Mo Bamba is slowly but surely learning how to rebound correctly and kind of getting his angles right. And I I do think that that's something that, you know, is something we could see from him uh, moving forward. But, Jonathan, I do want to talk about another magic big man. WCJ. WCJ coming out in that game hit like back to back like hit third three for three from three and just look ridiculous from three it dare i say from the top from the three-point line looked a little bit reminded me a little bit of our boy vucevic just the way that he was able to step into it with confidence set his feet nobody around them and just knock it down that's what you need you know with a lot of these guys and what what is crazy about it jonathan is that Last year during the the tail end of the season was the first time that he had ever shot over one three a game. And it was in a magic uniform. He shot one point three attempts a game. Before that, uh he shot point seven in Chicago, um the you know, during that year, the same year last year. Shot point seven, um, and then shot point nine the year before that, point seven, point seven. And was shooting like eighteen percent, twenty percent. 29% in Chicago was last year. Last year, he shot 36.4%. So he started to kind of find his rhythm, but he wasn't even shooting that many at, you know, volume amount of threes. And then you have him this year shooting 3.9 threes a game, Jonathan, and 43% from three. And I think you said something about this on Twitter, basically like if WCJ can get into the rhythm and knock down those shots from the, from the, the top of the key, essentially, look out right it's a rat that's what you said so yeah it, it was incredible and and what kind of irritated me someone said this on on twitter you know we got a lot of people on on magic twitter that say things in frustration but the guy said is really frustrating essentially i'm paraphrasing here it's frustrating 
that WCJ and Mo just want to shoot threes all game. And my rebuttal to him would be, yes, Mo and, and WCJ need a little bit more, Mo especially, a little bit more in terms of like post-up moves, things like that. Defensively, they leave a little bit to be, you know, Mo especially leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of just trying to body guys down low in the post and, you know, is a great shot blocker, but if he can tie things defensively, all that aside. I don't, I mean, they're shooting, they're both shooting like almost four a game or four a game. Mo might be over four, I can't remember. Um, but they're both shooting like four a game, Jonathan. You know who else shoots four threes a game? The elite big men in the NBA. So really, this is a growing season, and I think WCJ and, and Mo obviously know that. They're learning to hit that three-point shot. And it is something that could be just something that is just incredible to have from either of them moving forward. You got guys like Jokic, uh, Kat, Joel Embiid. They all shoot like four threes a game, Jonathan. And they're all great shooters. Kat is debatably one of the best. I mean, not debatably. He is one of the best shooters from three in the league. Kat's incredible. And get, and they you would say they're all pretty elite, right? And so if Mo and WCJ can continue to add to their game, and if it takes you know them shooting an absurd amount of threes in, in a year where the team is growing... I don't care about that at all, especially Jonathan. They're not even shooting bad. So instead, turn your attention maybe to Gary Harris and T. Ross, who look completely different than anything I've ever seen from them. Gary Harris, maybe a little bit more so, but because of just kind of his decline with injuries and things. But T. Ross, like focus your attention on the vets who just don't seem to be doing things that they've always done. They're not doing them well. Instead of like, you know. Let's make one thing very clear. We will be turning our attention to the veterans very in actually just a few minutes here. Mm. So I love everything that you said. You know, you mentioned Mo. He is averaging 4.3 attempts per game right now. Looking at Wendell, right now, he is one of the elite three-point shooters in terms of centers in the league. His non-corner three, so everything kind of ab- above that break in the three-point line, uh, you know, where the you know corner just goes straight, obviously, to the corner. Everything above that, so like straight on wing threes, he's shooting 48% from three, <laughs> according to uh, cleaning the glass, yeah. which is the 94th percentile for centers. All threes, now cleaning the glass takes away heaves, so like end of the shot clock, right. end of quarters, they do not count those against your percentage. All threes, 43%, which is the 89th percentile for centers in the league. So Wendell is legitimately right now one of the best three-point shooting bigs in the entire league. I I love the straight-on threes. I love the trail threes. We started to see that more out of Vooch the last couple of right. seasons. Um, the thing with Wendell for me, like this guy has everything that Vooch has except the post game. Obviously, like the right. you know the little jump hook over the left shoulder. Yeah. If Wendell can develop a post game. Right now, there's nothing that I'm seeing that he can't be just as valuable as Vooch. Obviously, he's a better defender than Vooch. Vooch, I probably give the edge to rebounding wise. Um, but like with Wendell, so consistent, obviously so far. Was a little bit worried with the eye abrasion that we were going to miss a few games. Uh, you know, missed you know basically half of you know the the Nets game on Wednesday, but then was ready to go on Saturday. So I, I really like what we're seeing so far from also- Wendell. Averaging nine, stay healthy the whole season, and averaging nine point nine rebounds a game right now. So like, yes, not a bad rebounder by any means. No, right. Then I understand like Vooch is an incredible player. He's an all star, right? But 
it, you know, in, in terms of Wendell, man, I, I really like, I can't say enough about kind of just what he's been able to do right now, averaging a career high 9.9 rebounds. The last time he did that was uh, 2019, two seasons ago. He averaged 9.4 through and only played 43 games. So if if WCJ, I mean, keeps up a campaign like this, man, not much of an argument can be made against him. Um, 13.6 a game right now, scoring 9.9 rebounds. Uh, even 2.4 assists, not terrible. Um, you know, for for someone who does what he does offensively, 28 minutes a game, not even 30 minutes a game. 40, 50 percent from the field, almost 51 on 10 and a half attempts, 43 percent from three. Like, I I really I, I think I've said this obviously many times before already, but I just I can't get enough of WCJ and kind of what he's able to bring to the team while making really minimal mistakes. Like you said, if he can continue to improve his his post game um i think that's the next thing that should be on his radar at least he seems to have the three-point shooting down just keep shooting him i I don't mind yeah i think a lot of the criticism you know mo bamba hasn't shot the ball well recently started the year really really hot from three um but like last night shoots two of nine from three so you're seeing your team get their butts kicked you see harold having his way with mo bamba every chance that he gets and you see him have a, a poor shooting night like that that's kind of an easy thing to poke at. Um, you know, Mo was one of the first guys last night said, hey, I shot two of nine from three tonight. I need to shoot the ball better. I, you know, my teammates need to be able to trust me that I'm going to knock down those shots. But in terms of Wendell, if he continues to shoot the ball at this clip, there's nothing that you can say. Just let the man yeah. take his four attempts a game and, you know, just mind your business. Right. All right. So, uh, but yeah, Wendell, he, he's been awesome. He's definitely been a, a bright spot for the Magic. All right, Luke, we're going to take a quick break uh, here from our friends at Manscaped, and then we are going to talk about the veterans on this Magic team. Guys, this holiday season, I'm giving thanks to our friends at Manscaped. Do I tell my extended family that I have the Performance Package 4.0 from the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming? Not to mention it includes their Lawnmower 4.0. Gift yourself, Manscaped, or the man in your life who needs it. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with 20% off plus free shipping with the code 6th, that's S-I-X-T-H, by going to manscaped.com. Think your holiday spread is good? It's time to give thanks to the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, or as I like to call it, the perfect package for your package. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, performance boxer briefs and a travel bag to hold your goodies think of it as a cornucopia for your balls and can't forget the manscapes liquid formulations they're like the pumpkin pie and ice cream after thanksgiving dinner you can't live without it the crop preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver toner spray your balls will be living in turkey heaven with these formulations get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code sixth at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code sixth S-I-X-T-H at manscaped.com. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Okay, Luke. So we mentioned, I think it was last week, that at some point we, we were going to be ready to have the discussion about the veterans on this team. So when we're talking about the veterans on this team, uh, really the guys that we're talking about, we're talking about Gary Harris. We're talking about Terrence Ross. I'm more so speaking in a general sense right now, Michael Carter-Williams, 
Robin Lopez, uh, to a certain extent, Etuan Moore, Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz, right? Out of that group, the only two guys that are really getting minutes on a nightly basis are Gary Harris and Terrence Ross. Now, Gary Harris missed you know a few games at the start of the season, um, you know, but for the last you know two weeks or so, he's been a you know he's been getting a lot of minutes in the rotation. He's been a big part of that second unit, and obviously, you know, coming into this week, the Magic had one of the best starting lineups in the NBA in terms of their net rating. I haven't looked at it tonight, but I'm sure the last couple of games has probably come down a little bit if I had to guess. Um, so one thing that people are pointing at are, is just the performance of Terrence Ross and Gary Harris, right? Um, say what you want about you know Terrence Ross. He's been a fan favorite over the years, uh, has really always been a catalyst off the bench offensively. You bring him into the game, you know he's got the ultimate green light. You count on him for instant offense. Uh, I, I don't know that you're necessarily looking at Terrence to be like this calming presence on the floor for the young guys. I know he's a good veteran, you know, in, in his own right, you know, talking to guys, you know, during practice and in the locker room. But, but specific, specifically throughout the course of a game, he's not a guy that you're counting on to like organize the offense and really calm everybody down. Mm-hmm. Um, heading into this season, Luke, I, I don't think many people thought that Terrence had a chance to be in that starting lineup. Gary Harris is a guy that we all thought had a real potential to start. Guy's making $21 million this year. Um, a guard. Uh, we didn't know was Cole going to start, was Jalen going to start, what was going to happen at the point guard spot. But we thought Gary Harris has a good chance to start either at the two or the three. Gary, with his experience in Denver, the team success that they've had, the playoff moments that he's been in, he's the guy that I thought was going to be able to come in at any given time organize things a little bit to a certain extent, make sure guys know where they're supposed to be, um, and and really just be able to calm everybody down. And we'll get more into kind of like their raw numbers and how they're kind of underperforming that way. But just in terms of like the intangibles that veterans bring, we're not seeing that right now in the flow of the game. I do believe that those guys are, are valuable to have at practice and in the locker room and, you know, on, on the, the bus and, you know, the team playing and, and talking to guys. But just in terms of being like the steadying force on the floor, we have not seen that at, out of either Terrence Ross or Gary Harris so far to start the season. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of us thought that, that Gary Harris would be a guy that could step into the starting lineup, be a veteran presence that the team needs and unfortunately, Jonathan, I think we're seeing, we've seen so far this season why he's not in the starting lineup. You know, you've got your vet, your other vet, T. Ross, that'd be coming off the bench. If Gary Harris was good enough, you know, if Moe's thought he was good enough and good enough in, in terms of his shooting and if he wasn't off and everything and checked all the boxes, no reason. I don't think this is a strategy play as to why Gary Harris isn't starting, right? He's also just probably not in the plans of the team for the future. That He knows that. The front office might have told Mosley that, and they said, you know, work on it to throw your young guys in there at the starting lineup and just kind of see what we have and let them grow because Harris isn't going to be in our plans at the end of the season. Jonathan, you can look at the numbers and all you want, right? I mean, they're not good. But if you look at the per 36, it's worse. Gary Harris for per 36, Jonathan, 8.5 points a game. 
that should tell you enough of what it is and like what he's been able to contribute so far. I think he's playing 20 minutes a game and averaging five. So Gary Harris is just not the Gary Harris that, that we knew he wasn't the Gary. He's not the Gary Harris that I was excited about when the magic got him. Everyone obviously, you know, would be, would, you know, eventually would start to talk about, you know, RJ and RJ Hampton and everything. But I mean, you, I talked about it with you on and off air. I think Gary Harris can be a really key part of this team. I'm excited about Gary Harris. And unfortunately he's just not, he's not who we thought that he was or is. So we're getting the battered, maybe, maybe mentally worn down. I don't know because he is a, a decent shooter, right? Like he is a good three point shooter, but right now we're just not seeing it. And I don't know if it's rubbing off on T Ross. I, I have no idea. So I, I really don't know as as far as these guys go, Jonathan. You know what can be said besides I. They're definitely not in the future plans because they're not producing like it, and I don't know if they're acting like it. Well, so I think one another criticism that we've seen is like that these guys are like checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think that that's fair to say. I can tell you last night. Um, like standing next to the tunnel watching those guys like walk in the locker room after the game, like Gary Harris, like hit the door or something like that. Like he, he was obviously, you know, pissed off and frustrated yeah. at that loss. Um, I believe it was after, you know, the Nets game the other night, Terrence let all scorers 17 points shot the ball pretty well. Um, I believe he was asked after that game, you know, just kind of what's going on with his offense so far to start the year. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what my role is on this team, you know, where my shots are going to come from in the offense. So obviously he's not exactly comfortable in his current role, Luke, let, let's you talked about the per thirty six numbers. Like let's let's talk about Terrence just for a second. Last year, averaged fifteen point six points per game in twenty nine minutes. This year, twenty six minutes, nine point four points per game. He shot forty one percent from the floor last year. He's only dropped down to thirty nine percent from the floor this year. Okay, um, five less attempts per game though, and the three point shooting is really where the numbers drop. Thirty three percent last year which isn't great in terms of, you know, Terrence's standards, but a lot of the year last year, he was like the main focus, you know, for the defensive team in that second unit, 33% last year, he's shooting 26% so far. His usage rate is down. Um, and it's not just that he's getting like, you know, really difficult looks like even his catch and shoot numbers are also down from last year. Like just offensively across the board, Terrence Ross is not playing to the standard that we're accustomed to. And people, you know, I, I guess it's it's a it's a fair question to think. I don't know that I would, vo- you know, like vocalize it and kind of like put it out into the, you know, the Twitterverse that I'm having these questions about, you know, does he want to be here? Is it, you know, his effort? There might be some of that. He might realize that this isn't where he wants to be right now at this stage in his career. He might want to play for a contender. Um, but I do think there is some validity to the fact that, He's still very much trying to figure out his role. And, um, yeah, you know, the the emphasis right now is on the young guys and, you know, getting them minutes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, his usage rate is down. So even when he's on the floor, he isn't as big of a part of of the offense. Yeah, and I think – and this is what I was going to say about T. Ross. I think a lot of it is coaching scheme. I think that, you know, he was used to his role – uh, with the Magic the last few years, he knew his role, come off the bench, get hot, 
keep this team in games, keep elevate the bench unit. But you said something. Um, I don't even think it was on air a, a few weeks ago. You said something to the effect of like WCJ, where he sets his screens for T. Ross. It's below the three point line, whereas when guys like like Kem Birch were setting screens in the bench unit for T. Ross. It was a, like basically above the three point line, well above it. And Kim Birch also was setting just ridiculously hard screens. Some would debate illegal, um, and and allowing T Ross to free up and shoot. And you know he'd come curl off that screen, and he'd be right there, right on the three point line. Now, now it seems like that's just different. The scheme is different. I, that's got to be a coaching thing. It's not like they don't do walkthroughs or they didn't do walkthroughs during camp or whatever it might have been. And Mosley told told him, like, T. Ross is a great shooter. Set these screens lower. Let him come off and shoot the mid-range. I don't know what it is, but I, I will put some blame, I think, on the scheme. Like you said, his usage isn't as high. I just think he's not been able to get into a rhythm because he's trying to find his role because the scheme has been so different. And and I think that that is a huge thing. I think that, like, we yeah, we can, you know, dump on T. Ross all we want. But I do think it is philosophy as well. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, you don't, you don't want to make excuses for the head coach, but we have to be realistic with our expectations and what we're asking from a rookie, you know, first-time head coach who doesn't have any experience really in making these types of adjustments. I think just in between, you know, all the young guys trying to get them minutes, uh, trying to fix things like the turnovers, um, you know, yeah. getting it, you know, kind of ingrained into their brains that even when you're not shooting the ball particularly well, that's even when you have to give more of an effort defensively. And, you know, like especially, you know, in the Wizards game last night, like we just didn't see that. So he's got a lot that he's trying to figure out right now. Um, I think that just might be one thing that he's like not really either concerned about or is able to get to yet. We all know that the second unit, like look at the the game that we won against the Knicks. That was Terrence Ross going crazy in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the second unit and the team is going to be better as Terrence Ross is better. Uh, it, it's just kind of strange that um, you know, like a couple of the staples of the the uh, Steve Clifford offense, like the pin downs for Terrence Ross, um, like the the fake dribble handoff that Terrence Ross and Aaron Gordon would have, kind of in the corner. And then Terrence would, you know, backdoor cut and uh, Aaron would hit him with bounce pass. Yeah. We saw like one instance of that in the first handful of games with Franz. We haven't gone back to it at all. If there's anyone on this roster that I think it would work with, I think it would be Franz. I think like obviously different coaches, he wants to do things his own way. But if you're looking to, to get a guy like Terrence and kind of unlock him, Steve Clifford has done a better job of that than any coach that Terrence has had. So yeah. I don't think it would be you know ill-advised for Mosley to go back and be like, all right, what right. was Terrence doing the last three years here yeah. that made him so successful? And then take a couple of those plays and implement that into the offense that you run, especially that back door. Like he's just had some crazy dunks off of that. Mm. Just get him some easy ones early in the game. Obviously shooting is all about confidence. He doesn't seem very confident right now, even though he keeps pulling the trigger. But right. um, I, I, there's there's blame in, in multiple spots. I don't want to say it's all on Terrence or it's all on Mosley. Terrence needs to shoot the ball better. Again, I mentioned shooting, I, I believe, a, a career low in catch and shoot, if I'm not mistaken. But I know that it's down from last year. 
um, he's missing open shots as well. When he does get those opportunities, he needs to knock them down. So, yeah. um, no, go uh, ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, with a shooter, especially Terrence Ross, who can get hot in a second, you need to treat them like if you're the coach, you need to treat them like a like a, a quarterback who just came in the game is replacing you know uh, the star quarterback comes in the game. What do you do? You 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 run wheel routes. You you get you know have them check down like screen passes, whatever you can to get them in rhythm is is what you can do. And like you said, like setting up T. Ross, the blueprint, and and like you said, there to an extent. You're you're able to defend Mosley because it's it's a different scenario. But what hasn't changed is that T. Ross should be the focal point of that second unit to me. I know that you know Chuma is there and whatever, but T. Ross I think right now has the offensively has the higher ceiling than a, a Chuma Okiki or a Gary Harris or whoever it is. I get you can try to give the benefit of the doubt to Mosley, but I can't. I just like I really can't here because the blueprint is right in front of him. Yeah. You you had the last couple three, four years of Terrence Ross game film that you can legitimately just see, okay, how does it and maybe it just doesn't like I said, it all comes down to coaching philosophy. Who knows what the front office has been saying in his ear? I would also understand it more if the front like if he was playing way less minutes, right? Like, oh, he's not able to get in rhythm because of that. No, it's it's simply because he's not being used correctly. He's playing three minutes less a game. I really do think that this is something that 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 falls on Mosley's shoulders in, in terms of that. And I think it's probably taking a mental toll on Terrence and his ability to shoot and his confidence. Uh, Terrence is a very confidence player, confident player, but it's hard to do that when when you completely like his his role is completely different. It seems, and the way that they're using him. Like, I don't know. It's almost like Mosley hasn't watched any film from previous years. So, yeah, um, again, catch and shoot percentage 27.8 on the year right now. That's a career low. Uh, just for reference, last year it was 37.8. Um, back in 2018, 2019, like when he was really shooting that thing, 42% catch and shoot right. opportunity. So he's missing open looks as well. So, I mean... <sighs> I think what's so disappointing is we all knew that like a strong veteran leadership for this team was important. I feel like they do have that in the locker room, which is incredibly important, maybe even more important than it is on the floor, but we're not getting it on the floor. Like we signed Robin Lopez. We're like, oh, that'll be, you know, like, like a good veteran. And the funniest thing at the time was like, people were like, oh, he's going to come and be the backup center and Mo's going to be riding the bench. <laughs> like Robin Lopez is like a complete afterthought right now in terms of like the rotation. But it, it is really disappointing because we can't really count on anyone for that at this moment. I cannot believe I'm about to say this. Steve Clifford is listening right now somewhere laughing. I cannot wait for Michael Carter-Williams to come back. <laughs> I really can't because Michael Carter-Williams, whatever you want to say about him, he can at least come in and get the offense somewhat organized. Yeah, He's going to bring that edge defensively and competitively, but he's going to be able to help get the offense uh, organized. Our biggest issue with Michael Carter Williams was not like, I mean, stop shooting threes. Like that's just something that you should never do. But it was more so our frustration with Cliff that Cliff was doing whatever he could to get Michael Carter Williams on the floor to the detriment of a guy like Markel Fultz. Like relegating Markel Fultz 
to like spot up corner threes at the end of the shot clock in an offense with Michael Carter Williams. At that point, you're playing like four on five, three on five. There's no point in having both of those guys out there together because um, neither of them can shoot. So that was always kind of the issue with Michael Carter Williams. But right now, like this team really could use Michael Carter Williams. And it feels like until Mark, like Markell is going to come back. I think like Cole might be like the heart and soul of the team, like the vocal leader. But the guy that is really going to be able to lead from the floor is going to be Markel Fultz, orchestrating the offense, getting everybody into the the you know correct position. I still think he's the best passer, the best playmaker on this team. Him coming back into the fold is going to be really big. Uh, and then in terms of just like calming presences, it's going to be Markel Fultz. It's going to be Jonathan Isaac. It's going to be MCW to a certain extent. M- Michael Carter Williams should be back. I think like relatively soon, like if he's not back in like the next two to three weeks, I'm going to be like, okay, what's going on? Because training camp, it seemed like he wasn't that far off, certainly ahead of Markel and Jonathan Isaac. And that's a whole nother conversation that, yeah. uh, you know, we can have about those guys, but we right. need those guys back, man. My, my last question before we wrap up, obviously Jonathan, we've been going on for about an hour here. Um, MCW, does he, when he comes back, does he take Gary Harris's minutes? I think you can make the argument. Um, I think he should. Well, this is the this is the thing that I have with Gary Harris. At this point, you need to decide if you're still going to try to pursue a trade to get Gary Harris away. You need something. Or are you just going to buy him out? And the reason that you make, need to make that decision, because his value right now is at an all-time low. He's making $21 million. He's averaging five points a game. The last time that I checked um, was before the Nets game, so I don't know if this has changed at all. But in terms of um, an opponent's field goal percentage when you're the closest defender, he was one of the lowest on the team. So the eye test tells you that his defense has been fine. Uh, I would need to kind of look into some of the circumstances surrounding that, you know, um, opponent field goal percentage. But he had one of the lowest on the team. So... Whatever it is, he's playing good defense. Guys are just knocking down shots over him regardless. So um, at least the eye test tells you that he's been fine defensively. I don't think he's amazing. I would still say Franz Wagner and Jalen Suggs have been the best defenders on this team. And that stat actually tells you that. Opponents field goal percentage when you're the closest defender, those guys are the two highest on the team. Yeah, Up there with Michael Mulder, who's played like 30 seconds. <laughs> so I'm yeah. not going to you know look too much into that. But... Um, yeah, if you're not, you have to continue to play Gary Harris if you want to trade him. Nobody's going to trade anything worth of value for a guy making $22 million who, if you're looking to get something valuable, it's going to have to be collective assets. It's not just going to be one thing that you move or you're just trading crappy guy for crappy guy I at don't, that point. I don't want anything for him at this point. Like, to me, these shooting numbers, I don't know if they come up, they can't get worse. I don't know if they improve enough to really improve a He's any type like 13% of, from three. And I, I don't know if there's any type of trade value improvements that are going to be made for him. He's I feel got, like you have to buy him out like come buyout time, you know, February, March. He, yeah, I mean, I he just, just don't see you being able to trade him. Yeah, I, and if you do, you're trading him for nothing, right? But you got to fulfill the salary of 20 mil. So... It's a tough situation, but that being said, I have fully convinced myself MCW needs to come back 
and just take all his minutes. I think that that's that's all that needs to happen. I, I I mean, in terms of asset management, I don't think that's the best way to handle things. But I do agree with you that it's probably the best thing for the team. Yeah, that's I, the I, angle I do I'm think we would be it. better yeah. right now on the floor with Michael Carter Williams versus Gary Harris. Right. So agree. That that's kind of where we are. Last thing I wanted to bring up, Luke, we didn't touch on this when we talked about the Wizards game, but in the fourth quarter. Jalen Suggs came down on someone's ankle, rolled his right ankle, um, hopped back to the locker room, couldn't put any pressure on the ankle. He did not come back uh, today. He was listed uh, as day-to-day, so he's questionable for Monday's game in Atlanta. Um, so glad you know that he's not going to – it doesn't seem like he's going to miss you know a lot of time. So we kind of we got lucky with that one. A lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, Jalen Suggs is going to be listed day-to-day and we're not going to see him until March. No, so that's the thing, right? Like, I – that was the thing that kind of irritated me. Like a lot of people were like, "Oh, he's gonna he's gonna be out for months." This front office man, they're gonna this front office knows they can't afford that for the development of Jalen Suggs. If he can play, yeah, he's gonna play. <laughs> like well, I get that we're mad. Then, but so what's going on with Mark Markel and Ji? I no no clue. Yeah, I got nothing. I have no idea what's going on with them, but I do know. That they're years into their career, right? Obviously, they need to develop more, right? A J.I. offensively or pick up where he left off in the bubble offensively. Defensively, no one's worried about J.I. Markel has improvements that need to be made and and will benefit, for obviously, from more reps and everything. But, yeah, no, as far as Jalen Suggs, this is a completely different situation. This is not like they're – even when the Magic come down to the end of the season and they're resting guys for stupid things, Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner, Jalen especially – just needs to continue to get PT, get reps, and continue to get better and, and fix turnover problems and everything else and just like get the feel for the game, that he can't afford to be out games that he can play. And I, I think that's what we're seeing. Guys like Markel and J.I., yes, I mean, they're coming off of major injuries. This is completely different to me. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that as far as Jalen goes, I'm happy that, that he'll be back shortly and, uh, you know, I never thought they would, but for the people who thought, you know, the Magic are going to hold him out, absolutely not. Well, what was concerning to me is that, like, he hopped off, didn't put any pressure on that ankle, and it looked like a pretty significant roll. So I was like, okay, like, we might not see him, like, this week. I thought at the most, like, maybe he's out a week or two. Uh, But you are correct. It is different circumstances, especially with Markel. Like, Markel, like, let's not forget that guy is just, like, 10 months out from him tearing his ACL. It's not the Jonathan Isaac. As much as people want to lump those together, I think there is something to the sense that the Magic kind of want to hold these guys out as long as possible, make sure they're ready to go, accumulate a few more L's along the way, you know, might not hurt. Um, With Markel, though, I I don't think it's as big of a deal that he's not playing yet, even though John Hammond came out and said, oh, well, you know, he might be ready for opening night type type of thing. Yeah, that's exactly why. That's the reason. Um, And that's the reason that the Magic don't say anything because when it doesn't happen – now everyone's like, what's going on? Everyone's all upset. Producer Kevin, all right, tonight, when he found out that Clay Thompson is roughly <laughs> five to six weeks from returning, yeah. is now irate. He basically said, I've been giving everyone the benefit of the doubt with these guys, you know, coming back. Um, but now I'm like really upset. And my response was like, Kevin, I've been upset like 10 times <laughs> since the ACL injury. Welcome to the party. My keg is now empty. I don't have the ability right now without having anything else change to get irate over this. 
what this is what I think it is. Um, again, a couple other L's, you know, along the way doesn't hurt the magic and you know the the tanking project or the rebuilding project. If you're looking to get another high pick this year, what it comes down to for me, and we don't have any proof of this, Jonathan Isaac gets hurt New Year's Day, 2020. Yeah, supposed to be like a like six to eight week injury at the time, something like that. Obviously, the entire league shuts down. Now we're getting ready for the bubble, and it it's not entirely clear whether or not Jonathan Isaac is going to participate in the bubble. And then all of us are like, yo, it's been six months. You said six weeks. Right. Something went wrong. Something is not right here. So that's kind of when everyone's ears perked up, right? If Jonathan Isaac would have been totally healthy and ready and they wouldn't have said anything about the need to start the bubble, I don't think we're having the same conversation that we are now. Obviously, we all know he plays two games, then tears his ACL. Then we're all like, oh my gosh, did he come back too soon? He was still wearing this bulky knee brace, blah, 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 blah. The Magic come out and say the injuries are completely unrelated from one another. It's just two freak accidents, okay? Bumps the knee with, I believe it was Bradley Beal. Hurts, you know, the knee the first time and then, you know, tears his ACL on the hop step against the Kings. Mm. What I think it is now is the Magic are just, from like an optics perspective, if he comes back... And in any way, shape, or form, they are able to be perceived as bringing him back too early. It's a really bad look for them. So they are going all of the way to the complete opposite end of the spectrum and saying, we are going to hold him out so long that it seems ridiculous. So there is no room for doubt if he does come back and please, Jesus, (laughs) God forbid, he hurts himself again. I will not know what to do with myself. They are just looking to avoid that at all costs. By all reports, there haven't been any type of setbacks or anything like that. He's even recently we heard he was still wearing the brace. Seems like he's kind of weaning off of that. I will not be irate with this until Christmas comes and goes. If we hit no if we hit January first and we've not seen Jonathan Isaac, Keg just <laughs> pulled up, Kevin. It's game time. Then we will burn this mother to the to the ground. We will get on this podcast. I will scream in frustration. I will ask for names, addresses, what's happening, what's going on. Not really addresses. I'm not. This is not a threat to anyone. Okay, let's get that clear. But I will be very upset if we do not see Jonathan Isaac by the 1st of January without some kind of lengthy, like, okay, guys, this is what's really happening. We've kept you waiting and waiting and waiting. Here's everything. And then we can analyze what in the H-E double hockey sticks happened. Yeah. You want to talk about the games for next week? Is that where we are? I think that's where we are. I think that's where we are. Yeah. All right, folks. Coming up this week, Monday, 7.30 at Atlanta, take on the Hawks. Then Wednesday, the 17th at New York to see those wonderful Knicks again. <laughs> that game starts at 7.30 Eastern. Hey, then we get to see the Brooklyn Nets again. This is just freaking great. Friday, November 19th at the Brooklyn Nets again, 7.30 Eastern. And then we get to take on the Milwaukee Bucks, the reigning NBA champions, the second night of a back-to-back for the Orlando Magic at Milwaukee. That game is at 8 o'clock Eastern. Luke, what happens you, this week? Do you, do you smell that? I think that's Is that uh, a broom? That's... Ew, it's 0-4. That's what that is, Jonathan. Owen who? Owen Owen four. Yeah, that's terrible, man. That's that's a that is that is an awful stretch. Well, um, I just found out that um 
the Hawks. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is undergoing surgery on a tendon injury in his right wrist. Miss approximately two months. Might be a little bit of a closer game against the Hawks, but I, oh I and four. Think, yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think we go zero oh and four. Yeah, yeah. I think the one chance that you have on on that trip is is going to be tonight, Monday, against the Hawks. Got to be. I Hawks mean, you kind of to... off to a, a a rough start. Um, I yeah. don't think you're beating the Knicks, the Nets, or the Bucks. No, I. You, you... Maybe you got the Knicks number. I don't know, but but to go into MSG I and mean, do that twice, Cole we're gonna could need pop a, off again. We're and we're gonna need a T Ross, you know, twenty point fourth quarter. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I it, it, games I would at not MSG are always myself fun, as overly optimistic. No, this week. No, and and folks, if you have like been struggling at all this season, like I have admittedly been struggling with the performance of this team. If you're on the fence right now about whether or not you're going to watch this team the rest of the season, stop now. <laughs> because the rest of November and December, like into the new year, it's just like playoff team after playoff team after playoff team that the Magic play. So this is the part of the schedule that we were talking about, you know, back in you know July, August, whenever it was that we got the schedule. This was the part that we were like, yeah, the Magic are going to lose a lot think- of games here. So strap in. I think, yes, if you're debating, it's going to get worse as a team collectively. However, I think individually, this is where we're going to see guys take another step if they're going to. You're playing against contenders. You're playing against the best of the best. They're going to give you a memorable game of their career because it's going to be against a Bucks, a Nets, a Knicks, whoever it is. I think that there's, you know, there's going to be some fun games. So while it's going to suck, here's the silver lining. The team sucks anyway. Any of the wins that the Magic get along the way these next couple months, there's a great chance it's going to feel like a really good win and a win that provides growth to the young players and to the team and also our morale as well. It'll make us be like, oh, the sky's not falling. We were able to beat, you know, whatever playoff contender, you know, championship contender was that night. We are keeping receipts this season. You need to pick your side of your alliance now. If we end up beating one of these teams this week, especially like the Nets or the Bucks, <laughs> I do not want to see people celebrating the Magic winning, you know, the 15th, 16th or 17th game of the season and then be upset when we win the 79th or 80th game of the season when we're in contention for a top 3 pick. I don't want to see any of that. You can either be just as upset about winning game three against the Knicks as you are winning game 82. You are not able to switch sides. We're paying attention this season. We're watching you folks out there. If you start flipping and flopping, you will be called out. I promise people that right now. I'm paying attention to who's upset about wins, (laughs) which is no one. So do not be upset about wins come March and April because they all count the same. I am officially and have been. Officially anti-lottery, Jonathan. What does that mean? We got that screwed. Means, That's what it means. That means I've been burnt. But it also means when the Magic win, if it takes us from at the end of the year, it's going to make people so mad. I'm going to get on the podcast. We're going to win a game, and it's going to take us out of being tied for the best odds for the number one pick. And I'm going to get on this podcast, Jonathan, and say, Good. I don't want it. 
I don't care until, what the odds are. Until until one of those three teams, until those teams end up one, two, and three. Ooh, that's when we're going to be like, if they end up one, two, and right, three, that's fine. But if one of them gets removed like we did last year, yeah. From the from those you know the, the tied for the best odds, we're the only team with those odds to get taken out of the top three last year. If that happens, I don't care because that would have been us. It's all revisionist history, and it's all completely random. So there's no point in getting upset about it. Yeah, I mean, you look at it. What twelve and a half percent at that point last year? Like the year in the was you had a forty percent chance of like. Something forty something percent chance. Of I once top three I knew I was anti lottery after the we celebrated Pokashevsky going crazy and get OKC that win. I knew that I didn't care anymore about the lottery when I really came face to face with those odds of getting the number one pick, and I was like, I I don't. Why did I care so much? Yeah. When it really gets you, down to it, you want it so bad, and then you get it, and then you're like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I can't. If you're if you're Detroit, Houston, or or Cleveland, you're pretty happy with the lottery last year at this point. But like for us, like no. I'm, I'm just done. Win, you tell me win as many games this, as you want, a, sweethearts. Win them all. Nine to ten percent, like well, one in nine or one in ten chance that you're going to get the number one pick, and you know a four in ten chance that you're going to end up with a top three. It's just all random. How like. Stupid. The, the, the two times we've won the lottery, guess what? We had we basically had zero chance of winning the lottery. So yep. the three times, excuse me, yes, that we won the lottery. So and the knee jerk reaction when you have are tied for the number one odds, and I promise I'm almost done, but I really hate the lottery. When, like you said, the Magic had ridiculously low chances to win the lottery, and they've done it, and they did it every time, right? Now, logic would say, and the way we were last year was, hey, we won it when it was that low. Think of what we can do with the odds we have now. Nothing. You're it's not going to random. You're, you're not going to do nothing. Dice. You're not going to do anything. You know, for the for the betterment of yourself, just tell yourself the Magic aren't even getting a top ten pick at the end of this year. Well, okay? I mean, don't do that. Well, listen, you'll all, feel all better emotionally that night when the Magic get a number mind. five or number four. Yes, I understand your point. Yeah, absolutely received. Yeah, you you can't you can't flip flop. You know, be be happy about these wins and then be you know sad about the wins at the end of the year. They all count in the same column. Yeah. So, just shut up, watch the young guys grow, and be happy about whatever win you get because you young players don't get great on crappy teams. So root for the wins. We're not going to close with a better line than that. I'll take this opportunity to do so. You guys are listening to The Six Man Show. Luke Sylvia, this has been Jonathan Osborne. Again, The Six Man Show. We appreciate you guys listening. We will catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Six Man Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. Please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It would really help us out a lot. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Six Man Show and like us on Facebook. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic. Orlando Magic. Ready? Gonna get you. Gonna get you. All right, ready? Yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.